Heavenly Father, even as we have just sung, we are sinners, poor and needy. And yet in Christ, we are redeemed. And we have more cause to sing than to fear. More cause to rejoice regardless of our circumstances than to fear. Heavenly Father, even as we turn our attention this evening to Psalm 53, as we see sin, as we see the fool who says there is no God, but then we see the truth that there is none who does good, no, not one. May our eyes be turned from our sin, and may we see Christ, our hope. For there is none righteous. But for all of us who are sinners, there is Christ, our hope. We pray that you would be lifted up this evening as we turn our attention to this passage. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 53. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. And there is none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon God? There they are in great fear, where no fear was. For God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. As we turn our attention to Psalm 53 this evening, it may sound familiar to you. You may recognize these verses. In fact, it's almost a word-for-word repetition of Psalm 14. There are some differences, specifically in verse 5, some other small differences. But for the most part, it is a word-for-word repeat of Psalm 14. Different situation, same truth. Psalm 53, as you work your way through it, you see those who oppose God, verses 1 to 4. The cost of opposing God, verse 5. And then a prayer for God's people in verse 6. The first thing we see in verses 1 to 4 is those who oppose God. And really, in verse 1, you have the fool, and then in verse 2 and 3, you have the rebel. The first thing you see is the fool. David starts with, the fool has said in his heart... There is no God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He's a fool because he says in his heart, there is no God. And then, the denial of God is a denial of morality. It's a not denial of right and wrong. So because this fool says in his heart, there is no God, he is corrupt. He does abominable iniquity. 
The fool not only rejects God, he denies God. And then David is left with this thought, there is none who does good. There is none among the foolish who do good. There is none among the foolish who would deny God. Who is good, who is worthy, who is righteous. We would agree with David in that, would we not? We would say, amen, that's right. It is foolish to say that there is no God. I would agree with that. And those, those people are foolish and there is none among them who does good. We would shout amen with verse 1, but then quickly David turns his attention not just to the fool, but to the rebel. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who God is. He's moved beyond this very narrow category of those who say there is no God, the fool. And now he's, he's backed up, and now he's looking at all of the children of men, all of humanity. Is there any who understand, who seek after God. Verse 3, every one of them has turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. Or we say, amen with David in verse 1. Of course, among those who deny God, there's none who say good. There's none who are good. It's not as easy to say amen to verses 2 and 3 because we're included in that. And yet even still, there is none who does good. No, not one. All have sinned. What's interesting as you come to these verses is that in David's mind, as he's writing verse 2 and 3, his mind is, is likely thinking of the Gentiles. right? Those upon the children of men. Those out there. In fact, we see this often even in the book of John, do we not? We saw it with Mary. We saw it with Caiaphas. We saw it this last week with the crowds. They, they say something, and it means so much more than they even realize what they are saying. That's kind of what we see going on here. In David's mind, he's likely thinking of those who oppose Israel, enemies of us, those outside not just those nations around us who would deny God, but those nations around us who don't believe in our God. There is none out there who is righteous. But David may be saying here more than he knows, because this includes even the people of God. David's focus may be on the Gentile nations, which seems to be clear as you look at the rest of this chapter. Even into verse 4, eats up my people as they eat bread. Into uh, verse 5 and 6, which clearly has an Israel versus the nations view. But Paul takes this same passage, both in, chapter 14, in Psalm 14 and here. And he takes this same passage and he applies it to all men. It's not just those out there who have sinned. It's even God's own people who have sinned. See, God's people are not God's people because they are not sinful. 
God's people are not God's people because while no one else would seek God, this people sought God. That's not why they're God's people. They're not God's people because they deserve it. They're not God's people because they sought after God. They are God's people because God sought them. Because God chose them. The same is true for you and me, is it not? We're not believers. We're not Christians because we sought God. It's not that we woke up one day, rolled over, and thought, today I'm going to become a Christian. Today I'm going to pursue God. It's God who sought us. God's people are God's people by God's choice. He chooses. He saves. And he must, because all have sinned. If it were left to us to choose God, no one would choose God. There would not be a people of God. Because there is none who does righteousness. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is none among the fool who would say there is no God. And there is none among the agnostic who would say there might be a God. There is none anywhere who does good. As I mentioned, Paul picks up on this very thought, these very verses in Romans chapter 3. He builds on that until he gets to Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us. Not in that while we were pursuing God. Not in that while we were putting our lives together. While we were cleaning ourselves up. While we were taking care of our addictions and our sins. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We just sang that truth this evening, did we not? If you tarry till you're ready, you will never come at all. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord for that truth. Because these verses make it very clear that there is none who does good. There is none who seeks after God. Not you, not me. Not David. Verse 4, David takes these two groups, the fool and the rebel, those who rebel against God, those who say there is no God. And he kind of then follows through with, with the thought. This is what they believe, right? That there, there is no God. They, they are not good. They do not seek God. They don't do good. So then how do they act? Verse 4. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Really, that, that includes all of humanity, workers of iniquity, all of us, everyone in verses 1 to 3, regardless of which group you fall into, all of us are workers of iniquity. Do none of us have any knowledge? Because look at how they act. They eat up my people as they eat bread. To eat up my people, David here, means to consume their wealth, their freedom, to take advantage of them. Here he's clearly have in mind the people of God, Israel, those chosen by God, and the nations around them, those who would not be a part of that group. These Gentiles, these other people, look at what they do. 
And they do not call upon God. The fool does not call on God because he does not believe in God. He says there is no God. And the rebel, because he doesn't care if there is a God. He's not seeking after God. The workers of iniquity have no knowledge. In verse 5, we see the cost of opposing God. Verses 1 to 4, those who oppose God. Verse 5, then the cost of opposing God. There they are in great fear, where no fear was. This, following on the heels of Psalm 52, where we talked about Doeg. You remember that last week? Doeg, his deceitfulness. His coming destruction, the hope of the righteous. And there's a line in there. In, in verse 6 of chapter 50, uh, of Psalm 52, where David says, The righteous shall also shall see and fear. This is the judgment of God, the, the coming against uh, Doeg, those who would, who would turn against God's people, and shall laugh at him, saying... So we were talking about that last week, we kind of asked the question, who is laughing now? That's kind of the picture here in Psalm 53. Who is laughing now? In verses 1 to 4, they are so, the, the world is so bold in its opposition to God. There is no God, or I don't care. There was no fear. They had no reason to fear, either because they didn't care or because they didn't believe in God. They did not fear, and yet now they fear. There they are in great fear. Those who oppose God and refuse to recognize God now face the judgment of God. They said there is no God, and now they stand before that God. They must face Him. There's a cost to opposing God. There's great fear, for God has scattered the bones of him who encamps against you. You, there again, God's people. It's a picture of total defeat. Their bones are, are scattered. It's the ultimate act of disgrace. In a battle, as one side wins and totally annihilates the other side to the point where the other side doesn't have the chance to come back and to collect their dead, to bury them. They're left to rot. Their bones are left scattered around a field. There's no honor in that. There's disgrace. It is total, utter defeat. You have put them to shame because God has despised them. The God that they refuse to believe in or submit to has put them to shame. As you come to verse 6, you have a prayer for God's people. Then, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God brings back the captivity of his people, let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. As David looks at the nations around, as he looks at all of those who, who rebel against God, who say there is no God, 
cries out for his people, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Notice first that there is salvation coming. Notice second, that even in captivity, God is faithful. So David recognizes here, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When, not if, when, when God brings back the captivity of his people. In captivity. In captivity. He recognizes the faithfulness of God, that God will do this. We just started going through Daniel Sunday night. And we recognize that very same fact in Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They remained faithful to God, even though they are ripped from their homes, even though the city that they love is left in ashes as they are walking away. It has been conquered. They're given new clothes, new names. And yet they remain faithful. Why? Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, they can be faithful. That's the same thing that we see here. Even in captivity. He's remembering that God is faithful and God will bring us back. He will. So let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad. You come to the end of Psalm 53, those who oppose God now stand in his presence overcome with fear. They face the justice of God. And those who trust God now express their hope in God. So you start Psalm 53 with one group of people. It's split into two, but they all have the same thing, that there is none who does good. There is none who does good. There is none who is righteous. There is none who is deserving. There is none who seek after God. And yet, if you come to the end of Psalm 53, there's two very clear groups of people. Those who are hoping in God, his people, and those who are facing the judgment of God. As I mentioned before, verses 1 to 4 kind of have more of a universal application. All have sinned, whereas verses 5 and 6 is more national, Israel and her enemies. But the application remains the same. All have sinned. Those who continue to oppose God will face judgment. But those who put their faith in God will find hope. So as we come to the end of this psalm, as we look towards application, we recognize three things. First, recognize your sin. There's none who does good. There's none who does good. No, not one. 
As Paul puts it in Romans 3, building off this same idea, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Recognize your sin. Not the sin of the person sitting next to you. Not just a general awareness that yes, people are bad. Recognize your sin. You are a sinner. You have sinned against the holy God. I am a sinner. None of us are good. Secondly, recognize the cost of your sin. There they are in great fear where no fear was. They were so bold in life, but now they stand before God their judge. Paul again, building off the ideas that are here. In Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, and the wages of sin is death. Recognize that you are a sinner, and recognize that there is a cost for your sin. That cost is death. It's separation from God. It is hell. Now finally recognize the grace of God. In verses 1 to 4, every person has sinned. Every person is not good. Every person, there is not one who seeks after God. You would think following that, that by Verse 6, therefore every person would stand before God in fear facing judgment. Instead, in verse 6, we find a people whose hope is in this God. The God from whom they should run in fear, they now turn to in hope, in faith. Recognize the grace of God. Believer, if you are here this evening and you are in Christ, rejoice in your salvation. Because you don't deserve it. Because you are a sinner and you deserve death and separation from God. But by the grace of God, you're a child of God. If you're here this evening and you're an unbeliever, And call out to God and be saved. Even this evening, come to me after this service and I would open the word of God with you and I would point you to Christ. Psalm 53 shows us three very clear things. You are a sinner. There is a cost for sin. But God is gracious. Won't you turn and find the grace and the mercy of God?